Hey, hey, beer fans. Welcome to Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew. I'm Denny Kahn. And I'm Drew Beecham. Together, we're the authors of Experimental Homebrewing, Mad Science, and the Pursuit of Great Beer, and Simple Homebrewing, still available at all your finance retailers. And by the way, did you know we also host a podcast sometimes? <laughs> sometimes. Wow, I've kind of like forgotten how to do it. It's been so long. Yeah, sorry about that, folks. Uh, it's been a bit uh, wibbly, shall we say. But we're back, and we're going to keep going. Now, between the two of us, we have over 40 years of homebrewing experience. I'm the guy known for weird beer and strange ideas. And I'm the guy who's known for questioning the conventional wisdom and checking it out. On today's episode, we're going to head to the pub, and we're going to cover some of the beer news that we missed during this whole time that we've been running around doing things. And, well, we're not going to cover all of it because, good Lord, people, that's a lot of news. And then we're going to go drop into the library, talk about some of the things we've been reading, or actually, in this case, so much listening to, before we go over to the brewery and talk about what we've been doing there. And finally, we're going to get you into the lounge, and where we're talking with Melissa McCann, who I actually interviewed just after the Women's International Beer Summit. And, well, that was a while ago, and then things have changed since then. But at the very least, let's go listen to her talk and understand what happened with the Women's International Beer Summit before we give you a quick tip and something other than beer and get you on your way. Man, that's a lot of stuff. It sounds like it, doesn't it? Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Before we do any of that, please listen to these messages from the people who make the show possible. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, publishers of Zymergy Magazine, organizers of HomebrewCon, and enjoyers of homebrew. Join your friends in fermentation at homebrewersassociation.org. And by you, our listeners. Go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you'd like to help support us and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the HA link to join the American Homebrewers Association and receive a subscription to Zymergy Magazine. Part of the proceeds from those go to help support the podcast. Thanks for your support. Hey everybody, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around and listening to those messages. Before we kick into most of the content, we have a couple announcements to make, and Drew's going to go first. Yep. First one is, if you haven't checked your feed, there is a new episode of The Brew Files, so make sure you get that into your ears so you can go listen to, well, you know, somebody's, uh, somebody's ideas of how you should make IPA and how you can progress to become an actual professional brewer. Oh, why would you want to do that? Because you're crazy. Um, yeah. But yeah, go, go and grab that before and give that a listen if you haven't already. And in the meanwhile, we're going places. Yeah, in uh, November, uh, on the 5th and 6th, we're going to be in Denver for the Brew Your Own Boot Camp. Uh, you can sign up now and save 100 bucks with early bird registration before September 7th by going to byobootcamp.com. There you go, byobootcamp.com, and you can come hear us talk. Or go listen to other people talk. It's going to be a good time, as always. Yeah. And don't forget that you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. You can click the AHA, Amazon, Brewers, Friends, or BYO links on the website. And by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is something different. Yeah, it's Project Freedom Ride. We're just uh, starting up on this one. We took care of uh, people on our last drive, and pretty soon I'll 
figure all that up and let you know how much we raised. But this time around, we are back to helping dogs. Project Freedom Ride is an organization that works with various dog rescues to take dogs from Texas and Georgia that are unwanted up to new homes in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, this means a lot to me because... Uh, that's how our dog, Britton, got here. And you've heard Britton on some of the podcasts in the background, I'm sure. <laughs> I was going to say, she, she, she's got starred. <laughs> yeah, she's, she has been on the show before. She came from Texas, a great Pyrenees uh, who was unwanted. So she was uh, put to, with a great Pyrenees rescue there, trekked up here to the Pacific Northwest to some people who thought they wanted to do adopt her. But they had no idea how big a Great Pyrenees is when you're living in a small apartment in the city. So she went back to a foster home where we got her. Uh, Project Freedom Ride is a great organization. Like I said, they work with various dog rescues. So please help us help them. Amen. Do it for the dogs. And now yeah. it's time for beer. Beer? Beer. All right. I'm up for it. We're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll be over in the Experimental Brewing Pub having beers and talking about the beer life. So please stick around. When I'm done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my work to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the wort to cool enough to add whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super-fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your wort in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art. They're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned global hop supplier located in the Pacific Northwest with a mission to connect family farms to the world's finest brewers. With their new online store, YCH products are now available wherever brewers choose to shop. Browse the aisles of your local homebrew store or buy direct from YCH at shop.yakimachief.com. Also, experience the new YCH mobile solutions app, a free, sustainable alternative to the popular hop variety handbook with information on more than 120 hop varieties to help you make the best beer possible. Available now in the Apple Store or at Google Play. Welcome back. We are sitting here in the Experimental Brewing Pub at the corner of everywhere and nowhere out in cyberspace, and we're having a couple beers. Well, I guess I'm only having one. Probably Drew is, too. So what are you drinking today? I'm drinking beer. <laughs> Great. Well, that's what I was hoping. No, I'm literally drinking a beer called beer, B-I-E-R. It is a Hellas from Green Cheek Brewing Company in Orange County, California, 
and Green Cheek. I'm surprised I haven't had Evan on the show because he is a fantastic brewer and somebody filled with lots of interesting knowledge and stories. And Evan is, well, he's mostly known for his IPAs, but that man can put out a a nice multi-logger like nobody else's business. And in this particular case, beer is like 4.8%, and it is one of those things that you want to have when the weather's just too damn hot to do anything else. So that's beer from Green Cheek, B-I-E-R. It is a hellas. If you see that, actually, if you see anything from Green Cheek, go and grab it because you'll be a very happy camper. Cool. Does it have a fairly uh, good bitterness to it? Well, it's a hellas, so the, the bitterness is restrained. Yeah. Because uh, he's going a little bit more for you know what would sort of be more traditional. It has sure. actually a really lovely malt profile to it with just enough of that sort of crackery toasted malt character to it the that transmits that idea of that continental malt and so right. it, it's very clean uh, very well carbonated in the can thankfully and it drinks good cool well yeah when you said a hot weather beer for some reason i think of those with a little bit more bitterness uh, at least for me that if it gets too malty it gets to be a bit cloying when it's too hot out right but remember but- I mean, a, a proper a proper hellas is it's more malt balanced, but it's not. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not like a Bach. Well, that's why I asked. I know that that's the way Hellas generally tends to go. But speaking of a hot weather summer beer, I am having a Rainbows and Unicorns from Breakside Brewing up in Portland. I mean, Rainbows and Unicorns. Come on, how can you uh, not love a beer like that, especially once you see the can? This beer I, was. I, I don't know. These days, whenever I hear somebody talk about Rainbows and Unicorns, I have a very different picture in my head that. Well, this is a family-safe show, so I'm not talking about that. (laughs) Okay. Fortunately, I don't know what you're talking about anyway. This was originally made for the Oregon Brewers Festival, which takes place in Portland at the end of July and is traditionally very hot. So they wanted something that was uh, kind of a light bodied, easier drinking beer to go for it. They call it a session IPA, although it's also uh, won awards at the Best of Craft Beer Awards, uh, a bronze medal as an international pale ale, 5.1%, 30 IBUs. Uh, yeah, kind of hard to call that an IPA. But darn, is it tasty. It is so packed with flavor. I didn't realize that it was uh, a session IPA until I was halfway through the glass and went to look it up. The thing that really makes it different is that they use a large amount of flaked rice in it to lighten the body. And let me tell you, on a really hot day like we've been having here in Oregon, it is a really refreshing beer. Comet Eldorado and Galaxy Hops, uh, light crystal and two-row besides the rice. I got just just the slightest hint of astringency in the finish, which uh, probably comes from all the hops that they put in, which gives it all that flavor. Uh, anyway, Breakside is a great brewery. We had a chance to go there once. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was really great, and they are creative and competent brewers. They make great beers. So uh, if you get a chance to try any of their beers, especially the Rainbows and Unicorns, go for it. And at least oh, when and we I, were there, they also had a really nice uh, brewery dog. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I like the flavor profile though. It's peach breakfast cereal, pineapple, and juicy fruit. I thought breakfast cereal, that probably comes from like the rice. I know they're thinking Rice Krispies. See, now I I want it to be noted that I think this is the first time I've ever heard of you talking about a beer that proclaims itself to be sort of juicy fruit and going for a lot of more of those tropical compounds that that I've actually heard you really like. 
I really like beers with tropical hops in them, as long as there's enough bitterness. Uh, so often you see tropical hops used in a beer that that is real low bitterness, like say all the hops go in late or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I got no problem with them as long as there's other stuff in there. A lot of times those really fruity hops can make a beer uh, come off too sweet for my tastes. So uh, if they get the bitterness in there, and again, this is only 30 IBUs, so you know maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but that's what it tastes like. <laughs> That would also probably not be the first time that sentence has been uttered. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that that's definitely true. <laughs> All right, well, let's break into some news. Uh, like I said, there's been a bunch of things happening since uh, since we last recorded. I mean, uh, but the the one that got sent to me by one of our listeners was the fact that in Australia, you know, if you've never paid attention to what happens with Antarctica, there are several bases down there run by different countries, you know, the U.S., Russia, Australia, we, uh, a lot of different countries have bases down there. And the people who go down there to do scientific research are, one, insane, and two, are sort of trapped there for a good long while. And I had a friend of mine who is a home brewer and a doctor, uh, professor type. He was actually the base manager for McMurdo Station over winter one time, you know, a, God, nearly 20 years ago now. Yeesh. And... Unsurprisingly, people need a way to keep themselves amused while they're trapped in the South Pole. And he was a homebrewer, and so he took up homebrewing. Well, the Australians apparently also have a tradition of homebrewing down in their station. And every season, you know, somebody gets appointed to be the brewmaster for the year, and they produce beer. But unfortunately, that has come to an end because the uh, the Australians who run the station have banned homebrewing from the station. They're now no longer allowed to do it. And in fact, they're controlling the amount of alcohol coming into the station just to be able to kind of preserve everybody's health. And I have to admit, when I read this story, I was flummoxed and surprised. (laughs) You know, uh, kind of, but not really. I mean, they pointed out several issues that have come up with both homebrewing and alcohol consumption there. And I can see that being a, a real issue when you're <laughs> that far away from the rest of the world. But, you know, on the other hand, homebrewing, I mean, these people need things to do, I assume, and that would be a great activity. But as they pointed out, uh, they can't control the amount of alcohol that is actually being consumed and, they said that, you know, if you stumble outside to look at the stars after you've been drinking, they're going to find your body in the morning. Yeah, I don't know. But they also said that this wasn't the policy change wasn't due to anything that had actually happened or anything else. Just a, a, a abundance of caution. Still a yeah. little a little sad to see a tradition like that die. <laughs> <laughs> yep, they've been doing it since 79. So it's been a while. Yeah, all right. And then our next story is actually from back in April. A really cool story about uh, trying to track down the origins of where exactly USO5 came from. And um, this is from an article over in London. And it was really trying to track down, okay, hey, you know, USO5, Chico, California Ale Yeast, where did it come from? And, you know, you go and dig into it, and and they're actually talking about, uh, you know, both the qualities that you can get from USO5, the genetics behind it, like why it's like, you know, it's, oh, it's a two, six to, uh, two sets of 16 genes, or sorry, it's two sets of 16 chromosomes, 
this, that, and the other. So, you know, it's uh, diploid, not, uh, not others, uh, you know, or what is it? A polyloid? Uh, yeah, I'm losing track of my terms. And, but really just trying to come back to where exactly did this yeast come from? And so it's, if you like your beer history and you like some of the investigation that, that has, you know, that people can do, this is, uh, this is your chance because it's always been said, Hey, you know, it's Valentine's and well, is it? Go read the article. Well, you know, this is an interesting thing because uh, our good friend Mark Vandetta has done a lot of work on this. First, though, I want to say I know exactly where USO5 comes from, and I'm not really at liberty to say. But uh, I think that this article is more about where the strains that were the precursors to USO5 came from. Yeah. Um, it has been pretty well documented that uh, Lollamand BRY96 is the Ballantine yeast, and BRY97 is a mutant that came from that, if I have that right. It may be the other way around, but I think that that no, was, no, it, that was well, correct. It, it was 90, 96 was the, the yeast used by Ballantines to make lagers. 97 is the one that is used to make ales. Are you sure about that? I'm looking at it right now in the article. Okay. Uh, that sounds different than what I remember uh, reading other places, but if it if it's on the internet, it's got to be true, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's an it's an interesting article. Of course, no answers are ever fully solved, but here we go. Just more data for you. Um, so before we get into like the the big topic for this particular pub, and it does tie into the lounge story as well, just a couple of other very simple stories. As we're recording this, it's the day after IPA Day. And if you ever wondered where the hell IPA Day came from, it did actually come from a person. Or actually two people. But it really it came from Ashley, a.k.a. the Beer Wench. And you know she started this whole social media trend. And it actually started a thing that now a decade later is actually still being celebrated. So if you're ever actually curious about why IPA Day became a thing, and hint, it has something to do with the wine world, uh, go read this story written by my good buddy Andy Crouch, who used to write for Beer Advocate magazine along with me. So go, go do that and also say hi to Ashley if you run into her online. She's great. Um, you know, I find it interesting that the day after National IPA Day is National Beer Day. Uh, International Beer Day. Oh, International, right, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, look, why not? You have an IPA, have something else the next day. Um, and then the, the last the last story before we get into the big story, you guys know that I've been talking about the Falcons Happy Hours that we've been doing. We're actually just now wrapping up uh, tomorrow our, our sort of the mainline weekly project. We've done this weekly now since late April of last year. And so after 63 happy hours, we've sold over 3,200 cans of beer. Specifically, uh, 3,223 cans and, and some bottles in there, uh, for 1,600 gallons of beer and most importantly, over $58,000 raised for our local breweries. As I'm saying this, we are getting ready to stop doing it weekly. We're going to sort of ratchet down a little bit because I think everybody's tired, but it was a lot of effort and it was great to, great to see. Man, that is a lot of beer. Good on you guys for doing that. Uh, it was a, a great educational uh, thing for you guys. And it was a great way to uh, support those breweries. Everybody got to drink a whole bunch of beer. 
Yes, and for people who are curious, the top four uh, breweries, at least as voted for by the Falcons, in terms of the whole of the happy hour that we did, were, let's see, I'm going to do this from my memory, Long Beach Beer Lab, who we've had here on the show. Yeah. You guys remember Levy. Levy's been on a couple times. Uh, our good buddies at El Segundo Brewing Company, who make some of the finest IPAs in the L.A. area. And then also our friends at Green Cheek, who I just mentioned, and that was the reason right. I'm drinking beer. And then the last one is uh, Integrin Brewing Company out in Moorpark, California, who specialize in really doing a lot of very traditional German-style lagers and other German styles. So those are the, the top four, and the last two happy hours that we did uh, are were mixed packs where we had both breweries on to talk about their beers and try the other people's beers as well. So that was a lot of fun. Man, I, I am really loving the lager love that has uh, just been picking up more and more the last few years. Yeah, well, I mean, you and I both know this from all the time that we've been interviewing brewers, but back when we were doing a lot more warm-up questions for the brewers, you remember that question I always used to ask, what's your favorite beer to drink when you're not at the brewery? And I mean, how many times was that answer something like Coors Banquet or you yeah. know, some other sort of simple Pilsner or simple lager? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's amazing how uh, brewers seem to really have a great affinity for uh, like mass-market lagers, uh, and, and that makes perfect sense to me. You know, you've been in a hot brewery for 14 hours brewing a batch. You want something light and refreshing. Exactly. You, you want you want something that you can drink without having to actually, <laughs> you know, think too hard about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, of course, now I said to you guys that, you know, we are having Melissa McCann on later to, with the discussion about WIBS, which happened a couple months back as we're talking. Uh, right after this discussion happened, boy, did things blow up. And how. Where one of the brewers at Notch Brewing Company in Massachusetts, uh, Brianne, had gone online and just posted a very simple question on one of her social media feeds. Have you ever experienced sexism in the beer industry? And it was inspired by the fact that she was coming back to Notch and helping set up the brand new Notch Brewing facility, and she's very, uh, very talented, very trained. You know, lots of qualifications, certifications, experience. And she came home from working that day, frustrated at the fact that there were a lot of contractors and other people who, while she's trying to direct this project, while she's trying to do all this stuff, kept challenging her as to her right to be able to to do this, her experience level, whether or not she was the right person for the job. And so she just came out and asked a very simple question. That then went supernova. And I don't know, Denny, how much you, you were paying attention to this when this all first started. But it was simultaneously not surprising, simultaneously horrifying, really just exploding the myth that a lot of beer lovers like to tell themselves about this industry and this hobby that we have. You know, I didn't follow it very closely because I wasn't surprised by it, and I have no illusions that it doesn't exist. Uh, I mean, it exists in, in every industry, every place of work. I guess I didn't see why any, I guess I didn't see why breweries should be any different or would be any different. Uh, you'd like to think they should be, but they're not. So, you know, beyond seeing the outlines of the story and shaking my head, that's about all I followed it because I really didn't need the assorted details. Yeah. Well, but what I did think was interesting was, I mean, 
this, I mean, this did actually have a real strong impact uh, on the industry in a lot of ways, you know, more so than I've, I think I've ever seen where a lot of breweries that we know that we love, uh, that we talk about, were getting called out for some very, very questionable behavior. Uh, and some of it just, I mean, some of it not even questionable, some of it downright sexual assault. And, you know, th- these were people who had cultivated good reputations. Now, what was interesting was, at least in the initial furor, we saw a lot of stories coming out and a lot of, a lot of different people being, uh, you know, sort of, you know, being pointed at. But what I noticed is that you may have had like onesie twosie type things where certain people were getting called out like maybe once or twice. But then suddenly what you really saw was the news started to very clearly focus around a number of really, really bad actors. And maybe because it's I'm I'm here in California, but one of the biggest ones that happened was Modern Times Brewing Company. So Modern Times is the San Diego-based brewing company that has now expanded into multiple locations. There's I think there's one up in Portland now. If I remember correctly, they took over the space that was run by the Commons. Um, and they... Uh, you know, they they actually got to the point where their whole corporate culture got shook up. Um, but I think really what in, has ended up happening was a lot of people taking this and realizing realizing that the sort of bro culture that had, has existed inside of some of these craft breweries was not making it possible for people to actually feel safe and included, like things where reporting processes, hey, I'm being sexually harassed, was going up to the person who was the sexual harasser. It's like, what do you do when, you know, the brewery owner is the guy who's doing this? And so it's been very interesting to to read these stories, I think, enlightening just to be able to see people be able to share this information. And out of it, this all started on Brienne's uh, Instagram, which is Rat Magnet. They uh, Another group started up uh, Embolden Act Advance, and they're actually taking that whole thing. It's a charity, a charity organization. We'll include a link to their profile. They're tracking a number of these stories, but also very much to make sure that things could happen and progress forward. They, like a lot of other people, have started a collaboration beer project called Brave Noise. And Brave Noise is all about trying to, you know, bring attention to what, you know, what has happened, where, where it's going, and also to try and, you know, really get people to pay attention to what needs to happen in order to make the industry feel safer. So there is a recipe for uh, Brave Noise Pale Ale, and it's all about trying to, you know, mark out breweries to, you know, make a change, make a commitment to change, and actually follow through, and, you know, give a donation off to uh, charities that are there for, you know, helping with this work. So, again, this was the the big kerfuffle that happened while we were off uh, doing things. I, and I did not want people to think uh, that we hadn't been paying attention to it, that we hadn't seen it, and that we hadn't thought about it. If you if you've been listening to this podcast for any period of time, you know Denny and I are very anti-harassment. We are very anti you know exclusion. We are both very inclusive people. We love most everybody, uh, unless you know you have brewing opinions that we disagree with. Uh, we love you. We want everybody to feel happy and we want everybody to feel safe in the, in the industry, in the hobby. And damn it, that means treating people like they're brewers and they know what they're doing. We've said this before. Treat people like they're people. Yeah, I think, I, to me, that's the whole thing. Uh, you know, this is just indicative of a much larger issue. So we're not going to solve it in breweries until we solve it in society. Yeah, exactly. 
But it all starts with us. It all starts with being good to each other, you know, or as Bill and Ted said years ago, be excellent to each other. So I don't know. That's a, I, mean, I know that's a fairly heavy topic to, to end in the new segment on, but I wanted to make sure that we had actually talked about it because to me, it's very important. You know, and oh, hey, before I forget, one thing that we didn't uh, mention, uh, you guys will remember uh, Nikki Forster, who was an Igor back in the day. She's uh, she's moving up in the beer world. So just want to say congratulations, Nikki. Yeah, if you're listening, Nikki, congrats. There you go. Now it's time to go to the library. All right. I guess we're going to go over and try and be literate. So stick around. We're going to be right back. Are you looking for an exciting new opportunity in the brewing industry? Country Malt Group is hiring. Current openings include associates, managers, supply chain professionals, and more. There are immediate opportunities in the following locations. Vancouver, Washington, Champlain, Asheville, Oakland, and Toronto. Full-time jobs at Country Malt Group offer attractive compensation and benefits, including a generous paid time-off policy, plus discounts on your favorite malt and brewing supplies. For more information and to apply, visit Country Malt Group dot com forward slash careers today that's countrymaltgroup.com forward slash careers new seasons bring new brewing adventures with y yeast's belgian summer private collection featuring 3463 forbidden fruit 3942 belgian wheat and 5151 britannomyces classeni These premium liquid yeast strains bring you the opportunity to enhance your skills and elevate your experimental side. The dynamic fruitiness, spicy phenolics, and complex esters balance well with the malts, hops, and specialty ingredients of Belgian styles. For an adventurous twist, add seasonal fruit and berries, or try Brett C with its tropical tartness in your next creative fermentation. These strains are available now through the end of September. Visit yeastlab.com for homebrewing recipes, tips, and more about which styles pair best with these strains. Welcome to the library. We got a couple pretty interesting things that we want to talk to you about, and neither one of them is a book. Yeah, no, neither of them is a book. One of them is a podcast, and the other one's a presentation. And the the first podcast that we want to talk about is actually well, it started as a book uh, by uh, Kelly Meyer with uh, New Braunfels Brewing. He wrote a book called uh, How Not to Start a Damn Brewery. And since then, that has actually now become a podcast. I think they're on about four episodes as we as we are going to air. And it's just very interesting because the whole podcast is really about dissecting lessons learned from opening places and lessons learned from closing places. So if you have any interest in the commercial side of it, if you have any notions of, hey, one of these days I want to take a perfectly good hobby and ruin it, 
then I would recommend that you learn from other people's mistakes. It's the best part of the world. All right. And then finally, this one's going to take a while for you to actually be able to consume. But our good buddy, Doug Piper, who runs a company called Gourmet Brewing, he's been doing a whole series of presentations. Denny and I may go on to talk about some Saison stuff there. And he just did one that I'm quite frankly jealous that I couldn't get involved with because it was a, a whole three-hour-long presentation called, about IPA legends. And it involved... Ron Pattinson, so you know you're getting your historical details correct. In fact, the first hour is all about the original IPAs. Mitch Steele, Vinny Chaluzzo, and Mike uh, Mike K from uh, Zebulon Brewing. And it is, yeah, it's like three to four hours long. But the one thing that we don't get, and this is part of the reason why I'm jealous that, that we didn't get to do it, was Mike also brewed to go along with the talk six different IPAs. And sold them as a box set for cheap because um, the man doesn't like making Which, money. unfortunately, we didn't get, and you probably won't be able to get either. But uh, no. Mike is a killer brewer and really, really into historical beers, so I'm sure that these were all just stunning. Right. And to give you an idea of the breadth of the topic that they were covering, the the six IPAs that were done in this box were the original IPA as they build it, circa about 1840, so a British-style IPA. 1902 Whitbread recipe, a 1918 Whitbread recipe, 1946 Boddington's recipe, and then a 1974 West Coast IPA, and then a 1994 West Coast IPA. And that's what Mike put together in this set. That's what they all are drinking and talking through. But also, very importantly, you don't have to have the beers in order to be able to learn something. So far in the stuff I've listened to and gone through, it's been very informative and very fun. We will include a link to that show in the notes. It's on uh, Crowdcast, which if you attended the HA conference last year, you've already used. You sign in with your Crowdcast account or you create one and you can go and watch this show for free. So it's a three to four hour show with lots of content free to your ears. Yeah, and Doug does a great job with it. The shows are not only informative, they're uh, fun and interesting to watch. So definitely check out some of his stuff. There we go. And now it's time to go brew. Really? Really? Finally? Okay, we're going to head over to the brewery, so please stick around. We'll be right back. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com.
We've got stainless steel. There's bubblers blurbing. I hear CO2 somewhere. And there's the mysterious sound of a refrigerator fan blowing somewhere in the distance. We must be in the brewery. <laughs> we must be. Either that or some special circle of hell. There you go. And it is time for us to catch you up on what we've been brewing, what we've been playing with. Dincenzo. I recently realized that I didn't have any pills around, and I wanted to do that. But I also had a package of uh, Ardennes from Escarpment Lab I wanted to check out. So I made a split batch and pitched a different yeast into each one. Uh, I know you guys have heard us talk about that. So I basically kind of made like just a basic light wort, uh, 95% uh, Pelton pills from Mechagrade, uh, about 5% Carapils. Why carapils? Because I haven't used it a lot lately. I used to put it in everything just kind of like as the standard thing. And I want to get back to discovering why carapils. What does it do? Why am I putting it in there? So I tried it. So I made uh, about 14 gallons of wort, split it into uh, two batches, uh, Magnum for Bittering, Spaltz Select at uh, 10 minutes, and Tetanang at 2 minutes. And uh, put two packs of diamond lager, dry lager yeast in one batch and uh, pitched a pack of Escarpment Labs uh, Ardennes yeast right into the other batch. No starter needed, uh, you know, plenty of cells there, uh, you know, although you've heard us say that it's vitality more than cell count. But to that, uh, it was uh, definitely within its date range. So I uh, I just poured the escarpment into that and got really busy with some home renovations and some of the other stuff that's kept us from making a podcast for a while. And uh, let them do their thing for fermentation, cold crashed them for a couple weeks just because I hadn't gotten around to uh, doing anything else with them. And I am extremely happy with both of those beers. The uh, Diamond Lager, I pitched two packs of, of the Lollaman Diamond Lager yeast into, just sprinkled it on top, no rehydration, no aeration, no nothing. It took, oh, maybe uh, between 24 and 36 hours to take off. I don't remember that exactly. The uh, Escarpment Ardennes had started up probably in less than 24 hours. Both beers started at 10.49. Both beers finished at about 10.11 or 12. So they're around 4.9% alcohol, something like that. Two really delicious, pretty low alcohol beers that are really easy to drink. Uh, the, The Escarpment Ardennes beer especially is just loaded with flavor for being such a low alcohol beer. Uh, heavy on the phenols, very little fruit to it, and that's the way I prefer my Belgian styles. So a lot of like cinnamon and nutmeg and allspice and that sort of thing, or yeah, 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 uh, exactly that kind of thing. And you know, and some of the, boy, I don't know what to t- call it. I almost want to say some of the plastic phenolics, uh, but I don't know if that's a really good description or not because that makes it sound negative, and it's really not. It's just a, you definitely get like cinnamon out of the background. Uh, it was a, a, a really, really successful experiment, and it's going to be a nice beer to have around to drink for a while. 
Uh, and I should say that I was afraid that I had really, really dick chimped this batch. Uh, when I was putting the, the top plate on my grandfather, uh, I pushed it down too far. So I got grain going down the overflow tube, which just totally plugged it up. Uh, I experienced wide temperature swings during the mash. I mean, and this was, this batch also, I had thought, well, you know what? Because I can do a step mash easily, I'm just going to go for it. So I did a step mash at uh, 125 for 15 minutes, 145 for 45 minutes, and 158 for 45 minutes. That was the plan. But because the grain tube had gotten blocked, and it depends on recirculating work through that to hold the temperature, the temperature was just swinging wildly all over the place, and when I finally got down to cleaning up, I had about a, a foot-long scorch mark on the bottom of my grandfather, that uh, you know, oh. from burned wort. I know, I know, man, but you know what? It didn't come through in the flavor in either beer. Uh, when I tried the Ardennes first, and I thought, well, you know, this is really good, but with all those phenols in there, am I going to really be able to tell if there's any kind of smoke flavor or not? But the pills showed absolutely no sign of it, so somehow I managed to dodge a bullet there. There you go. Well, God favors the you know women, children, and fools. Yeah, right. Well, I'm I'm the last one for sure. Maybe yeah. the second one too. Now it, you didn't talk about the the pills though. Like, how did the diamond lager read? Like, if the if uh, the Ardennes was all of that uh, phenol and mild fruit, what did, what did the diamond yeah. lager come across with? Clean and crisp, uh, with some malt emphasis, but I mean, you know, it, the pills is really a nicely balanced beer. Uh, you know, it, it's got enough bitterness to it. Let me see. It comes in at, you know, 41 IBUs for a 1049 beer. So that, that's a, a fair that's amount of bitterness, but it, it doesn't strike you as being too bitter. Uh, it's just a nice, crisp, clean beer. I've been using uh, uh, 3470 a lot as a dry lager yeast, but I think that I definitely prefer Diamond. Uh, same, same basic background to the yeast, but I, for me, it just seems to come across as crisper. There you go. And then as for me, I haven't been doing much brewing at all because it's been too dang hot. Um, and like Denny, I've been busy doing, well, planning for home renovations. We still haven't actually kicked them off, which is going to be a lot of fun. So you, you haven't started yet? No, it's all in planning stages and cleaning up stages. And, oh, my God, we've lived here for 10 years. Where did all this crap come f- from stages? Yeah, try, try 27 like us, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but we're, we're getting ready to do that. And actually, the, the renovation part does speak into one of the quick tips that we're going to have later. But... Um, so I haven't had a chance to, to brew much this uh, this season. However, uh, I just got a shipment in from Sugar Creek Malt with malted corn. Two different varieties. And Ooh. and you guys know what I'm going to do with malted corn, don't you? There's only one thing I'm going to make. <laughs> it's going to be a cream ale. And my hope is to actually brew three different cream ales, one with just regular old flaked maize like I normally do. And then one each of one with each of the the malted corn varieties, and get those up to you, Denny, so that you can try them and tell me if there if there's any differences or if I'm insane. Oh, great, man! Uh, you need to do one with a can of cream corn too. No, no cream corn. <laughs> well, I, I had actually thought about doing one with the like corn grits. So yeah, right. you know, doing doing that the old fashioned cereal mash way, and mm-hmm. then I remembered uh, I don't hate my life that much. 
Yeah, right. I was going to say, why would you want to punish yourself like that? Speaking of new malt shipments, uh, we have some um, new malts from Crisp on the way, too, that we're looking forward to checking out and telling you guys about. Yes, expect more details on that shortly. Yeah, yeah. So that's what's been going on in the brewery. Uh, as we said, as we get this podcast go going again, uh, we have some fun things coming up in the future, and we will be talking about them. But in the meanwhile... It's it's funny that you did a lager and a a light Belgian beer, and I'm planning some more cream ale, as you said earlier. <laughs> it's lager love, baby. Yeah, exactly, man. You know, and and around here, uh, Pilsner and Belgians and IPA are pretty much the three staples in the house. So uh, I got two of them there, and uh, this weekend I'll be doing a double batch of IPA for Paula. There you go. Keep, and, and you know, it. and I, one of the things I'm looking forward to on that is utilizing some of the uh, info in the survivable compounds booklet from uh, Yakima Chief. And I'm going to go uh, dig through my hop freezer, see what I've got out there that uh, will fall into the various categories, and try and design my hop bill with some intent rather than just going, yeah, let's put in some of this. Well, I was going to say, you know, if it's been working for you so far, why change it? But then again, why not? Yeah, well, you know, it's not like I'm making a, a major radical change. Uh, you know, I, there, there are hop varieties that I've already got here that I've been using. I just want to take a look at uh, when they recommend using them in the brewing process and try and stage them like that. There we go. All right, I think it's time for us to go lounge, buddy. Okay, we're going to get out of here. We're going to head over to the lounge. We'll see you in a minute. Does your fermenter need to have Wi-Fi? Not necessarily, but is a Wi-Fi-enabled fermenter incredibly useful? You bet. Using the Grainfather app, brewers can monitor and adjust fermentation from anywhere in the world, a feature that could come in handy if you want to start a diacetyl rest while sipping an umbrella drink on the beach. The new and improved Grainfather Conical Fermenter Pro is constructed from 304 stainless steel and has a total work capacity of 8 gallons, making it just the right size for your 5-gallon batches with plenty of headspace. A 1.5-inch tri-clamp on the lid allows up to 2 PSI of top pressure for work transfers, and the 2-inch tri-clamp port on the bottom of the cone makes true dumps a snap. Particularly nifty is the dual function valve that lets you transfer and sample beer or pull yeast using the same valve. The integrated 12-volt, 30-watt heating element makes it easy to gently warm your fermenter, while a built-in cooling sleeve only needs to be connected to an optional chiller to get the temperature down. The new and improved Grainfather Conical Fermenter Pro is available now at grainfather.com or at a homebrew shop near you. just about time it's just about time don't you think it's about time we talked about beer okay this is the part where everybody sings beer 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 all right welcome back we are now in the lounge. It is time for us to sit in the comfy chairs, sit back, and think. Now, remember back in the pub, we had talked a little bit about the whole uh, Brienne, Rat Magnet, sexism in the industry uh, blow-up. And like I, like I had referenced there, that had literally happened 
the week after the Women's International Beer Summit happened, which was an online seminar focused on, on uh, women in brewing and things that they've learned, you know, different techniques, different presentations. It was a lot of fun, and I got to moderate and help help out and kind of keep them uh, rolling along, just give a little technical support, and it was a good thing. So I sat down, like, in the immediate aftermath of the, the summit itself and sat down with Melissa McCann, who organized the whole thing, put it together, and, you know, talk about, hey, what just happened and what was how did it get started, what was her thoughts, what was her reactions, and where they're going to take it. So... Again, this was just before all the stuff happened with Notch and uh, Brianne Allen. So, you know, it was one conversation that has now been morphed by the, the reflections of events that have happened since. But by all means, I recommend that you guys sit down and you learn about just exactly what Melissa had to go through in order to set up the Women's International Beer Summit. I'm sure you, I know you were, but you know, there were so many little things like that. It was just kind of comical and like the Tara Nuren talk with, uh, Herlinda Harris and it was just all about their beer travels and the, you know, the things they've learned and such. And people were just enjoying that so much and it just kept going on and on. And at one point they said, we can just keep going if you want. And poor Vicky and I, it's like we were just, we were working on it together because my, audio i mean my visual didn't work but we just said no it's lunchtime and i think we're just gonna lay on the floor for a minute and breathe (laughs) i just need a minute (laughs) well when i when i was doing the talk with ann for whatever reason her her powerpoint kept like freezing and not advancing to the next slide so she had to stop sharing her screen and reshare her screen Mm. and she kept apologizing i said ann don't apologize it's not it's not a technical conference until something breaks Exactly, exactly. And that's what Matt Bowling said, too. He said, how did he say it? It's like the homebrew con is on the brink of disaster at all times. Oh, yeah. The <laughs> uh, first rule of reality, every conference ever is just one hair's breadth away from whirling into the sun. <laughs> I learned that. So it's just like, and you asked me, you know, the things, you know, what have I learned? What have I, you know, what, what did I hope everybody else learned? And my first thing that I learned is that I am not allowed to do tech. <laughs> so, well, but that's, so, a re- that's the reason why you had yourself a uh, hell of a tech team to help put it together. We did. We did. And they wanted to be me to be moderator on a couple of things. And like when uh, Tara lost all sound, I, I'm lost. I, I don't even know how to attempt to help. <laughs> so, so I'm not allowed. It's just not okay. <laughs> well, you may not be allowed to run the technical side of things, but you're allowed to run a conference. But first, I yes. think you should uh, introduce yourself to everybody since we've been talking. Oh, hello. I'm Melissa McCann. I'm the director of the Women's International Beer Summit and former director of the Queen of Beer for a few years, a 25-year-old female competition. We, over the last couple of years, took it national and turned it into quite the event with uh, scholarships and such, and it was amazing and just so great. And we've done the same thing with the summit and awarded scholarships and all kinds of great things, but mostly I'm the proudest of the content that we were able to provide. Well, and if I remember correctly, you're up in the Sacramento area? Yes, I am. Okay. All right, because uh, Queen of Beer. Uh, I, always, I always think of Queen of Beer in Sacramento. It, it It is. It originated up in Placerville, and then I brought it and took it down here. And we're. I'm hoping that it'll end up being more of a national where we get to move it around and such. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, the founder, Beth Zingari, is going to be more involved this year. And so we'll see what she gets to do with it. 
Well, and in the meanwhile, you 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 sort of handed off the reins or handed back the reins for Queen of Beer. Yes. And, that, and now you've taken on Wibs. Yes. I, I love I love the fact that you get to have an, uh, an acronym, Wibs. We do, we do. So, yep. And, and so Wibs is the Women's International Beer Summit. Yes. So yes. for the people who weren't paying attention to all the many messages that we put out there and that I know you guys put out there, what was the Women's International Beer Summit? Women's International Beer Summit was something that I created with a, a friend um, back in the fall of 2021 when, again, we were looking at you know not being able to hold a competition because we couldn't come up with a, a venue that we could guarantee would be open in order to do it. Plus, we needed to worry about safety and the safety of all concerned. So together, my friend and I, we decided that we wanted to create an online thing and then it turned into an online summit and then it turned into an international beer summit. And so from there we invited some other friends to from the industry to come along and look at it and what is it we want to do? What do we want to provide? And my biggest thing was I wanted it to provide uh, inspiration and, and, you know, empowerment and also educational components. Um, but mostly I wanted it to be something interactive, which is something I've never seen before and something we were able to do with several of the sessions. So I was pretty proud of that. Interactive meaning that like with the hops sensory session that we held, people, uh, the first 300 guests were able to uh, have a, a box of interactive supplies shipped to them. And in that interactive session with the sensory, with the hops, they, they had hops in their hands that the, the speaker had as well. So they could, they could smell and, and do what she was doing. And so they could get that more of a idea of what they were looking at. And then we did have malts for a malt talk who uh, she didn't show up, but then uh, Ashley, <laughs> Ashley, uh, showed up from uh, Beerstadt Lager House and so that was fabulous but that was in there as well as well as some uh, judging sheets for the judging session and also the uh, Cicerone session and Amoretti showed up with some some fun stuff for people and the grandfather showed up with some fun stuff and just it, that was super I really enjoyed that and so we had that interactive piece. And then as we started to evolve, I decided that I wanted to involve Shebrew out of Portland because they were in the same boat that we were. They can't hold a competition safely and they have just as many attendees that show up for their conference. I mean, their competitions. And we knew that everybody was out there making beer because everybody's stuck at home, but not able to really get that connection and that encouragement to keep going. And so from there, we formed our team for the Women's International Beer Summit, and then we created a survey because more importantly than anything, I wanted to know what would an attendee want out of this, not just what I could create or mm -hmm. our team could create. So we put out a survey, and then we used that survey to design the whole thing, and we interact, we engaged as much of it as we could Plus a few of the extra things like I really thought that people would be interested in. Uh, I know a lot of women in brewing are super interested in the Instagram 
influencers and mm-hmm. how they do what they do. And so I created a session with some of the better Instagram influencers. Some of them have like 40,000 followers. And so I, they showed up and talked about what they do and how they do it. And so that was really well received. And I love that. So, yeah. Well, I, I have to admit that while COVID has been a giant raving pain in the butt, Mm-hmm. It certainly forced a lot of people to be very clever very quickly in yes. order to be able to continue doing this sort of stuff. And for people who weren't able to attend, I mean, a lot of the stuff you guys were doing across uh, Crowdcast, which was the same platform the AHA and the Bruce yes. Association used. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, I, th- I thought it was really cool. I also like the idea that you actually started by asking your potential customers what it was they wanted to talk about. Right. Because it wasn't about what we wanted. It's about what they want. And so we wanted to be sure that we were doing that. And so we had some great ideas, but so did our survey answer mm-hmm. uh, respondents. They they had some fabulous, like one of uh, Gail Williams, uh, she was a... Uh, a beer writer out of San Francisco, she came up with the Spotify ideas to get the the brewers that are participating to come up with a Spotify um, playlist, a brew day playlist. And so we had those going in the in the exhibit hall the whole time, and people that attended can download those and have them for themselves. And so that was a lot of fun. We really enjoyed that. So um, let me think what else was specific to our surveys. The, Survey people really enjoyed the idea of doing the interactive thing. That was a big one. And then also the scholarships as well. They wanted those to be something that were uh, super easy to obtain. There wasn't going to be any essays or anything like that. So we definitely did that. And Oh, no, so, come on. Every scholarship should have a, a writing assignment attached to it. doesn't matter if you have to write during the job. Stop it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might be a writer. <laughs> well... That's, it had its component, but this time we just wanted it. Just we wanted this to be fun and easy and entertaining and just. Uh, no, this, just this, year's been way much, this year's been way too much work for too many people, anyway. Exactly, exactly. So, so you, you mentioned the scholarships. What were the what were the scholarships for, and where did they take people? There's online scholarships available through UC Davis in their brewing program, and there's. Let me think. I know there's um, some on just quality, quality production. There's some that are on, like it's. They're all from Charlie Bamforth, and they're all really wonderful. And so uh, there were four of those to give away to people, and then they can go to the UC Day, excuse me, UC Davis website and pick out their own scholarships, and we're going to take care of it and get those purchased. And then there's also some that were just on quality control that were uh, a little bit less expensive and we had a couple of those that we could give away mm-hmm. um, and then we also had two that were given to us from the Cicerone program for uh, the basic Cicerone class so those are were given away as well one during the Cicerone session that we had and then there was I'm just I'm the names ex- escaping me that the brewer the brewery magazine um, they have some some classes that were available I, I uh, brewing. I believe that's correct. Yes, there was three of those given away as well, and they were just a drawing, and we just picked a name, and there they went out. So, yeah, I, 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 not a benefit for everybody. Uh, I actually write for CBB. So. Oh, <laughs> great! Yes, they were very generous. Thank you. Um, uh, but what I think is interesting, I mean, like, how many seminars did you end up, end up getting? It was somewhere close to thirty, right? Yes, with twenty-eight. Mm-hmm. And then, so you had. 
20, uh, 28. I'm, and I love the idea of the Spotify playlist. I love the, I love the idea of the interactive uh, components that had to have been interesting from a logistics point of view. <laughs> Well, indeed it was. Uh, we had everything for the interactive boxes shipped to Steinbart in uh, Portland. Mm. And um, I, I learned what you need is a, a fake drop-dead date for your uh, providers, and then you need a real drop-dead date where you actually get together and put the boxes together. <laughs> and so you're not sweating till the very end and people are having things shipped on the Friday that you're actually packing the boxes. So. Yeah, lesson is, learned. <laughs> yeah, that turns out to be, I think, the same lesson my editors use with me. They give me a fake deadline. <laughs> yes. So, and BSG was the BSG handcraft was so generous, but with the malts that we wanted to provide, they weren't able to package them individually in the one ounce packets for us. They mm-hmm. had some that were available, but not others. So we actually had six bags of grain delivered that had to be packaged individually for those interactive boxes. So that was quite the feat and task while we were in Portland. So two uh, two of my uh, cohorts on this uh, project and I flew up to Portland to help get this project done and get everything packed into boxes and Steinbart's was so generous with their time and space for us to uh, store those boxes until we started getting our registrants and we could get them mailed out. So they were very nice to us. It just sounds like a ton of little baggies. <laughs> and a lot of sneezing. Of course. If people, if people don't realize how dusty malt is. is. Um, and so this took place over a couple of days over the weekend. Uh, yes. I, I know I jumped up and I helped moderate a couple of sessions, one, success, one successfully, one ish. Lee, <laughs> but they, they all they all went off relatively without a hitch as we were joking when we first started mm-hmm. talking uh no conference ever survives first contact with reality <laughs> yes. uh, um so let me uh, you did the queen of beer before yes and then you came up with this idea in november and pulled this off by april what is your background that allows you to do such magic or is that just who you are uh, I am sort of an event planner. I come up with ideas and then let me tell you, I had a team behind me like no other. And mm-hmm. that was just the Portland team was fabulous. Just fantastic. We had a web designer out of Portland that is just, I, I would just say, you know, I have this idea. I'd like to do this. And what do, what do you think of that? And I think the logo should be here. And within an hour, I'd have like, a web page. <laughs> just like, okay, we love you. And um, the the person that took over for Crowdcast for us out of Crystal Group out of uh, the Portland uh, Oregon Brew Crew team, unbelievable. She just took the lead and took care of the Crowdcast team. And and my job for six weeks was to set up these sessions and get a hold of all of these people and get them to help me. And it was it worked out. Fabulously. I mean, it was six weeks of solid work for that. And I joked with uh, friends, it's like I was not hurting cats, I was hurting chickens. They're a lot faster and a lot squirrelier. And boy, was it a, it was a job, but it got done and, and it was, it would be nice to have a little bit more time, but <laughs> next time. <laughs> it's, it's always nice to have a little more time. Unfortunately, <laughs> reality doesn't often, uh, no. often do that. And, and yeah, Crystal, by the way, uh, uh, ran me through my paces. 
She oh, she was on top of it. And Michelle Wonder from Oregon Brew Crew, she's the one that the webcast, I mean, the web page genius. I mean, she all of that fabulous artwork that was in the backgrounds mm-hmm. and all of those little uh, cards that like for each session that we had that told you what was going on and the tech information. She designed all of that. It was she's amazing. So well, but again, even with your background and even with the team, I think that's that has a hell of a feat to go from a nugget of an idea in November to a fully fleshed out and actually happening event in the middle of April. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now, the, now the question is, would you do that to yourself again? No, I would definitely, I'm definitely <laughs> going to allow myself much more time. So, so in the next couple of months, the, the goal is to rest mm-hmm. and consider what the date might look like and also to continue building our industry contacts to start looking at the content we might want this time. Mm-hmm. So, cause of course there's several of those speakers I would love to have back, mm-hmm. but there's also so many more out there. Like I am going to be talking to the head brewer of Orval mm. um, because she's, it's a, she's female and it's just, I changed. didn't, I did not realize that the head brewer is uh, female identified until far too late in this program because that's going to require quite a bit and also a translator. And that was not something my brain could entertain well in the time that we had. We ended up with one, the grandfather panel that we did, we did end up with the, the need for a translator there. Uh, and Shauna from the Seattle Beer School helped get that on track. So that worked out well. Uh, I would like to have far more sessions where there might be uh, people from different languages that are able to share their information with us as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I looked, you know, one looking at the bios on the, the Queen of Beer dot beer website, you know, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, it's a broad swath, a swath of women that all across the industry doing lots of different things. So it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also really surprised when I was in the, the moderators interface going, Hey, I know that people, I know that <laughs> people too. I know, I know a lot of these people. It was, yes. it was nice to see a lot of familiar faces. And I think also very importantly uh, for people uh, to realize, I mean, attendees were not just women. I and mean, you yeah. know, it, it was everybody. It was open to open to everybody. It, and absolutely. That was good. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you a couple of questions. I know that you got the, the website still up with all the bios and what the schedule was. I know all that information was recorded. Is that available to people to, to see? Well, our team is still breathing yep. and we'll get a little bit more active tomorrow. But what I would like to do is offer the content at half off and then you would be able to see that to get into all those recorded sessions until right. the end of May. And that's like 20 bucks. Mhm. Yeah. Mhm. So yes. th- that that'll be good for people to be able to catch up because again in, in the two conferences that I got to be able to do because I was helping do the moderation, I thought the content was great and it was fantastic and even I just remember laughing cuz uh Anne who did the talk from uh, Fermentus. Mhm. Uh she at one point put up a slide that was like the the Krebs cycle and mm. you know it's like oh here here you go here's all the various stuff that happens and here's all the flavor compounds and oh by the way this is a simplified version of this graph and i'm, I'm looking at this and going mm-hmm. that's the simplified right. version right wow 
<laughs> so I honestly, the last two days when it first started on that Saturday, I was just absolutely in awe of what I was able to put together as far as the sessions and who showed up. It was pretty humbling and pretty overwhelming. And I'm just so proud of what I was able to put together for for the public. And I can't wait to do it again and bring some more people together with some more knowledge. And as I talk to these presenters, I'm going to be asking them, hey, you know, this all went amazing. What else do you think? What else should we put out there? Who else should I talk to? Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of the industry I know is is its word of mouth and and the introductions that I can get from these women and presenters that I had. Hey, this is Melissa. You need to talk to her, and I'm in. And it's, so I love that. And so I, I really enjoy talking to people, and I really enjoy understanding their story and where they come from and, and help and help them de- uh, develop what it is they're going to talk about. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, I really enjoy that. Well, and I think a very important point is, you know, we've talked in the past on the podcast and I think a lot of people have been having the conversation about, you know, how do you, how do you make the industry more diverse, right? How do you make the audience mm-hmm. more diverse? And I think part of the problem is it's not just, Oh, you know, the industry itself isn't diverse enough. It's that, it's hard to see it sometimes. Mm. And so here, you know, like, like looking around and going, Oh yeah, no, I know, I know a bunch of these people and Oh, Hey, here, here's some new faces that I don't know. Right. Yeah. It, being able to see that and be able to have that concentrate in such a way, I think is actually a really good way to show off, you know, what is and where we can go. Mm-hmm. So right. I think that's, I think that's rad. Now I know you, I know you're exhausted from doing the event. You kind of hinted at some of it earlier. Mm. Future state, we doing this again? Absolutely. 2022 uh, or bust? It it will happen in 2022, and we're uh, American Homebrewers Association is really interested in supporting us again, as Mm -hmm. is BSG Handcraft, and we're going to entertain the idea of doing something semi in person, but then there's also going to be that virtual component because of the the international com mm-hmm. the you know that construct is you know it's not like we're going to get the head brewer from Orval to come to Sacramento or Portland or wherever for, for a little well, conference but well if you do let me know cuz I'd, 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 I'd like to talk <laughs> no she'll be a secret weapon that I won't tell anybody but you <laughs> yeah but then again I'm a loudmouth so careful but, uh, I I can't wait to talk to her. I was there in 2018, and it was I. I just oh my gosh, yeah. Oh, it's, a, it's such a gorgeous sight. Oh, and, it's yeah. I mean, it, it feels peaceful. It feels the the ruins. The ruins are picturesque, mm-hmm. and the brewery itself is surprisingly modern. And mm-hmm. that and that bottling line is mm-hmm. terrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the photos I have out of there are just, I'm going to have to get your contact and send you a couple of the photos because they're just amazing. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Also, I think for people who have uh, never really paid attention, you should uh, you should go and search up the legend of Orval and why there's a trout on the, on the bottle and why mm. there's that monastery there because it's great. It's one of my favorite beer stories. Hmm. Um, or I should say beer-related stories. So getting back to the point now that we've digressed. <laughs> <laughs> so 
2021 or uh, 2022 or bust. And mm-hmm. by the way, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think even after all this is said and done and, and things stabilize again, I think there's still going to have to be a virtual component to stuff. Cause I think people have figured out some of the power of being able to actually build connections over a long distance. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I mean, even for my homebrew club, I'm putting together right now, literally right here next to my desk, a small mini system that will allow us to rig up a zoom room in mm. our clubhouse so we can bring people in and talk mm-hmm. to them and have it look right. You know, so I, I think that no matter what, we're going to be doing some of that because it's just I too good. I agree. And I wonder if one of the things I'm thinking about when people aren't stuck with just virtual, if it will be something that's appreciated that you can stay home and, get together a few of your friends and have your own little party while you're watching something like this. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's a positive thing. I do too. I, I mean, again, education, exposure, uh, representation, yes. all those things are mm-hmm. important and they don't happen if you don't make the channels available to people. Right. And right. truthfully, I mean, once you've already started down this pathway of doing virtual pieces anyway, it, it becomes easy to do it becomes mm-hmm. almost nowhere barring of course crowdcast or other conferencing softwares driving you crazy by doing various weird things <laughs> but the the point still stands i mean once you have the ability to actually be able to offer it and you you jump through that initial technical hurdle it's a relatively low cost thing and if it expands right. your audience by that much and does expand your ability to, to deliver the message mm-hmm. why not do it right so we got 2022 coming we got the we got the still half virtual, maybe half half in real life. Right, right. Uh, God, I can't wait to have a beer with people again. Um, yes. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Yes. Well, we Were have you- Big Brew Day on Saturday, so I may stumble out of my bubble just a little bit just to um, go do that. There you go. And then we've got... Um, you said later uh, later on, probably by the time this this comes available, there'll be a way for people to be able to to buy in to actually go watch the presentations that that happen. Yes. And of course, information will be available at uh, queenofbeer.beer. Yes. And then obviously, pay attention to your socials because uh, Wibs Part Two coming soon. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else that you want to make sure the audience knows before we uh, uh, go our ways? No, I think we're great. I'm just, I'm so thankful for the whole, everyone that showed up and our team and all of our sponsors. It's just what a magical event. And I'm just so, so proud of it and so proud of our team. I I think it's incredible that you guys managed to pull this off in that short period of time because that is, <laughs> I, I, I don't think people appreciate just how many squirrels that is keeping in check, how many balls are in the air. And how many, how like one or two little things falling down, somebody who, who promised that they're going to do a job, not doing the job or to your point, not delivering on time, mm-hmm. you know, can totally make these sorts of things just go wibbly faster than you can imagine. We learned a lot. Of course. And Good. it's all positive and. There's no mistakes, there's lessons. And the lessons were good and we're we're ready to move forward. It's going to be great. Absolutely. That is one dedicated woman, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It, uh, that was a ton of work, and I'm really happy that, that it got put together. I can't wait to see where it goes in the future, and always happy to you know have more points of view and more talking about beer. Yeah, really. Well, and, you know, Melissa's a great person. Uh, 
and I'm really looking forward to uh, to her point of view on things and to uh, the other events that she's going to stage. Uh, I saw her uh, last week was her birthday, and she's been out doing a pub crawl all over Northern California. It's like <laughs> that, that woman has a lot more stamina than I do when it comes to drinking beer, let me tell you. It's always a good a good skill to have. <laughs> All right. I think we need to get people on the road and let's uh, let's close this thing out. We're going to take a quick break here and when we come back, we're going to be wrapping things up and getting you on your way. So please stick around. Mecca Grade Estate Malt is a craft malt house owned and operated by the Klon family on their beautiful Central Oregon high desert farm. Their 8th generation Oregon farming family grows and malts all of their own specialty grain, creating malts that are rare, remarkable, and bursting with flavor. Malt is the foundation of your beer, so why settle? The best beers deserve MechaGrade. For more information, please visit MechaGrade.com. Welcome back. It's time to do that wrap-up thing that we do. Uh, no Q&A this week, because uh, we got to get organized with all the questions we've gotten. Don't forget, you can always give us more questions. Questions at experimentalbrew.com. We like to have more questions. Yeah, definitely questions. And you can always uh, leave us a voicemail or a text at 626-765-1-ALE. But now it's time for Drew to take it and give us a quick tip and something other. Yep. And so the quick tip I'm going to tell you is get in there and clean out your damn brewery. Uh, you know, I don't know about y'all, but whenever I keep working in the brewery and keep doing things, I keep, you know, messes kind of pile up. It just becomes this dread weight that keeps you out of the brewery that makes the, yeah, right. the it makes it a place that you don't want to be. And so I took a day. I told you guys we're getting ready to do some home renovations, which also meant that the brewery is getting renovated. I'm getting some more power, and I'm getting an AC in the brewery. Yay! You're getting air conditioning in your brewery? Yes, I'm getting air conditioning in my brewery. Thank God. Oh, my God. Um, and so we're getting all that ready, and so I cleaned out the brewery. And you know what? It was amazing to me just how much lighter and more welcoming the space felt. So by all means, get into your dang brewery space and clean it the, the hell up. You'll appreciate it. Yep, I, know it's I did that recently, and it was one of those things that uh, I dreaded. And once I got it done, which wasn't all that difficult, I was so proud of myself. And it made my life easier, too, when I brew. Yep. All right. So there you go. Clean your damn brewery, folks. And then something other than beer. Because, as we know, there's more to life than just beer. There's also gin. <laughs> yeah. Gin is an important part of life, isn't it? There you go. But now, also, in the things that are non-alcoholic, since it's been a while, I got more than one uh, something other for you guys. I'm going to go through these real quick. Just before my birthday, I uh, need to give uh, Jim Steinman died. And you may be asking yourself, Jim who? Well, Jim Steinman, I know you know his works because he's the guy who wrote I Need a Hero, Total Eclipse of a Heart, I'd Do Anything for Love, Making Love Out of Nothing at All, pretty much the entire album Bat Out of Hell, 
including the classic epic Paradise by the Dashboard Light and Floodland with the Sisters of Mercies. So Jim Steinman, incredible author of epic cheesy music. And my hat's off to you. Thank you for all the cheese that you gave us over the years. And I mean that in the best of ways. <laughs> yeah, really, man. Um, also, something that had actually come out last year. I watched it last year. I really loved it and forgot to completely talk about it on here. On Amazon Prime, there is a first-time movie, or I should say a movie by a first-time director, called The Vast of Night, which is sort of a mashup of The X-Files and The Twilight Zone, and it's all set in late 50s, early 60s, small-town Arizona or New Mexico, you know, somewhere there in the desert southwest. And it has a lot of fun attitude. It sparkles for a movie that was made with... Uh, three quarters of a million dollars, so a very low budget movie. I know three quarters of a million dollars doesn't seem like a low budget, but for, but for a movie it is. And just trust me, you'll have some fun with it. And that's the vast of night. And then finally, if you if you listen or watch nothing else that I've recommended to you here on the program, this one I am telling you you must see on Hulu. Quest Love, you know from a Tribe Called Quest has recovered and put together a documentary all about the the Harlem Cultural Festival that happened in 1969, you know, basically a little bit around the same time as Woodstock. This festival kind of completely disappeared and fell off the radar of the world because everybody was so enamored with the film from Woodstock, but they had they had uh they'd filmed this and then the the uh the footage basically got lost, forgotten. Yeah, uh, until uh, Questlove found it. And I'm telling you, the reason why you need to watch this, it's called Summer of Soul. And it's all about the set, a set of concerts, concerts that happened over like five or six weeks in Harlem. And it's absolutely amazing. It, it features performances from uh, The Fifth Dimension, uh, Mavis Staples, Mahalia Jackson in there. A young Stevie Wonder, you know, I mean, after the, after the young Stevie days, but before he became the Stevie Wonder that we know, but a, a young Stevie Wonder's in there. It is absolutely amazing. It is profoundly odd to me that this footage got lost and this whole thing kind of got forgotten. Trust me. It's, it's, it, it, it's really, yeah, it's really a stunning program. I mean, they, they called it the Black Woodstock and yep. they ended up with like 450,000 people there over the course of the few days that this ran. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing. You got BB King in there. You got Sly and the Family Stone. You got, I, these are names that you've heard in performances that you've never seen before. It is well worth the time it, that it takes for you to hunt this down and go watch this. I mean, it's like, Two of the best hours I think you can spend. So that yeah, it's is, not very hard to hunt down. It's on Hulu, so yeah. it, you know it, it's easily available. Yeah, it's and again that's Summer of Soul, parentheses or when the revolution could not be televised, uh, and you can go find that. And that's from Questlove, the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival. Go watch it. Yeah, do it. So I guess it's about time that uh, we get out of here because we've said all we got to say, huh? There we go. Let's do this. Thank you all for listening to Experimental Brewing. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, which is experimentalbrew.com. 
We're on Twitter at EXP Brewing. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Uh, I hang out on a lot of different beer forums and Facebook. You can find Drew on the Slack Homebrew channel or the Homebrewing subreddit. If you want to ask us questions, and please do, suggest topics, recipes, or even just rant and rave, you can always email us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com, or you can get a hold of us individually. I'm Denny at experimentalbrew.com, and he's Drew at experimentalbrew.com. And, of course, you can send us a text, leave us a voicemail, uh, any of that stuff at 626-765-1AL. That's 626-765-1253. So until next time, remember to always brew experimentally. Or brew wacky. And we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing.